Nevertheless, you reside, Lord. So we thank you this morning. We thank you that we will not be shaken. We praise you. We thank you. We ask your blessings upon this message and this time today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Amen. Well, good morning again. So we're going to continue in the book of 1 John this morning. Amen? We're, uh, we're, we're moving uh, slowly uh, through the, the, the letters of John. If you were with us last year, we, we went through the Gospel of John. And so we're, we're continuing to explore uh, these ideas uh, that John is fleshing out in his letters to the church. Now, we've called this series uh, Brilliance in the Basics. And it's the idea is uh, when Pastor Trace and I were reading through the letters of John, is there are fundamental ideas to Christianity contained in these letters. He's writing to these, these uh, coming letters, he's writing to people, in this letter uh, to a house church. And he's really just kind of laying out uh, very foundational issues. And what we're going to talk about today is the most foundational issue of all issues. This is. Uh, I'm going to ruin one of my points later on, but this is the foundational point on which Christianity is built today, right? So if you're wondering, it's like, well, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, what should I make my life about? What should I, we're going to discover what that is today. So let's go to 1 John chapter 2, and we just have a few verses today. We're going to read uh, verses 7 through 11. And uh, this will be from the ESV, so I will read, and then, uh, then we'll pray, and we'll kick this off. It says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him, and there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you. Father, we rejoice in you. We rejoice in your word. Father, we pray again for the comfort of the Holy Spirit upon this congregation and upon uh, uh, the spirit of mourning that we have today, Father God. But I thank you for encouraging us, loving us, Father God, and, and binding our hearts right now as we focus on you and your word and what your spirit would have us to understand and learn this morning. And the church said, amen, amen. amen. Okay, friends, so uh, this is an interesting note here because he says, I'm not writing you anything new. This is actually an old commandment I'm writing you. He's like, but it is new, right? I'm like, okay, what is it? Is this old or is this a new commandment, right? So last week, we get this idea that um, John is starting to lay out how Christians should behave. We have certain obligations to keep God's commands. Now, this becomes immediately problematic because, you know, part of the central tenets and foundation of Christianity is that we don't have to keep any laws to be saved, amen? Right? There's nothing we can do, and there's nothing that we can possibly do to earn our salvation as a gift. Right, it is given to us. The Holy Spirit right, shines a light in our heart. Right, and he does, God does everything. 
saying is thank you for faith that we're saved. But then John is writing, it's like Christians have an obligation to keep some commands. And so he's starting to explore this. And he says, I'm not writing a new commandment. I'm writing something you've heard from the beginning. Now, let's stop. Okay, so now we have to define, okay, what's the beginning? And, and because we don't want to spend all day, you don't want to spend all day hearing me talk about this. I'm just going to cut right to the punch. The beginning is, is when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of life happens at salvation. Amen? The Bible says once you're saved, you actually have eternal life right then. Eternal life is not something we get. It's something we have at that moment. Amen? So if you believe in Jesus, the Bible actually says you have eternal life right now. That you are a new creation. Right? That you live forever. Right? You have a mortal body that is decaying. Yes. And guess what? You are eternal. Right? So this is the beginning. He says, you, this is the command you heard at the beginning. At the same time, it's a new commandment. So let's look at John 13.34 when this commandment was new because Jesus gave the command. John 13.34 says this, A new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus speaking. He says that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is how this commandment is both new and old. It is new because Jesus, upon getting ready to die, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, right? Love. And it is old because these Christians that John is writing to have heard it, but it's new in him. Does that make sense? So he says, you've heard it from the beginning. Now, the love command, we believe, scholars believe, and I believe, and I think once you study this out, is that this commandment was actually handed down with the gospel message itself. So when the early Christians shared the gospel message, they actually gave the command to love. Amen? It says that you have heard this at the beginning. Now, let's go to 2 John. Uh, we're going to probably be in 2 John and about five months. But he says, I re and this is verses four and six, it says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And I now ask you, dear lady, now look at this, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Okay? So we have to get this idea when we think of the earliest iteration of the church. Jesus dies, and we have the 12 disciples doing their thing, is what was included in the gospel message. Well, one thing we know is that early, the first instruction you got as a Christian was to love people. Right? Because every time John writes to somebody, he's like, you've heard this. You've known it since the beginning. This is the first thing I told you. Love. Jesus said, here's the new commandment. Love. People will know you belong to me because you have love for the brother. This is why we say this is the most foundational, basic thing in Christianity. This is square one. This is 101, right? This is introduction. This is about 50 at Palomar College, right? Like, let me just show you how everything is organized in Christianity. And if you get this wrong, everything else in your Christian life is off. This is the foundation stone besides Christ, right? So Christ is that cornerstone, and we have these other pillars that we're going to build a house on. And this is the strongest pillar, right? Besides the Christ cornerstone, faith alone in him is now we have to figure 
out this relationship, right? So we get saved and this relationship is healed. Well, guess what happens when you get saved are all these horizontal relationships, are they fixed right away? Right? So Y access good, X access, access bad, right? We, we're so broken. I've repented and I'm saved, uh, but my wife still hates me. That doesn't get fixed overnight. My wife doesn't hate me all the time. I can go, right? <laughs> or my relationship with uh, my coworkers, all these things, right? So we have to begin this, and this is why Jesus cares so much about this. He says, look, okay, now that you're saved, love. Just as I have loved you, you love other people, right? And this is the most foundational, but it's also the toughest commandment. Because if you get this right, everything else, you start knocking it over, right? It's like, oh, this, you know, once you can love humans, you can do anything. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Because guess who's very tough to love? Harsh for ourselves. <laughs> right? Okay, so now he, he begins to flesh out this idea. And the, the Bible's wonderful because, uh, well, for a lot of reasons, but on Friday night, we were discussing the attitudes. We we're, were going through the teachings of Jesus. And we had a wonderful group. I, I thought it was a very lively discussion. Um, and I got a lot out of it. And the Bible is meant to be shared in a group. And it's nice, and it's meant to be spoken about, right? Because the Bible uses a lot of imagery. And here he's, uh, John is using an image of light and darkness. Now, light and darkness is a favorite John image, right? So if you remember the Gospel of John, it opens up. And it says, what does it say? Anyone know John? So thank you, Miss Joe. Excellent. You always win. If you're going to go up against Miss Joe Bible study time, you're going to lose. I'm going to tell you right now. Because I thought I was pretty awesome, and then Joe came to church. I'm like, why do I keep losing to this? Who are you? It's not a competition. It is a competition. Christianity is a competition. That's my second point. Who can love people the hardest, Chris? I attended from the time I was in my mother's room. And I didn't get saved until my 20s, so there you go. Unfair advantage. Okay, anyways. Yes, but John, he starts off with his image in John that he was there at the beginning. And Jesus actually is the light of God, right? He's this great light. And so he carries this rover and he says, look, he goes, you think you're walking in the light. And, and now these people already know the light is Jesus Christ, right? Because he's, he's, he's given all men light. That's what it says. The true light has come into the world and it gives all men light. He says, but, he goes, you're actually walking in darkness if you hate your brothers. You think you're in light. But you're actually in the darkness because you've, you've missed this. I'm gonna, let me just read. This is verse 8. It says, at the same time, it is a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You notice that? Look at that, verse 9. He says he's in the light, but he hates his brother. He's still in the darkness. So is it possible to think you're in the light and actually be in the dark as a Christian? Okay, now, good. Now we've got the image, right? This is dangerous territory. Because we think we're okay, right? This is the most dangerous place you can be. This is why this is so foundational. Okay, so pay attention, please. He says he's in the light, but he hates his brother, he's still in darkness. That's verse 9, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. The word abides just means lives. You're staying in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. What do you do in the dark? Well, you stumble, right? But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness.
darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay. Let's think about this. So, uh, I'm from Oregon. You can probably tell I like to wear flannels. Learn to grow beards and go into balls. Pretty much what Oregon men do, right? You wear flannels and go balls and grow beards. You also do really weird things. Now, I'm, to make it even worse, I'm from a small town in Oregon. Not that Oregon has a lot of large towns, but you have Portland, you know, which is you know, even bigger. At least it has an airport. I'm from a town called Coos Bay, Oregon. Have you ever heard of Coos Bay? Okay. Okay. This is getting weird. That's weird. Have you, have you heard from, about Coos Bay because I told you about Coos Bay? Darn it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, to make it even weirder, uh, the Coos is an Indian name, C-O-O-S, Bay. And I live, I grew up on the north bend of the Coos Bay. So I'm actually from a town called North Bend, which is even more bizarre because you have to go around the bay. So I heard of North Bend North. It was actually a Jeopardy question. We rejoiced. Now, I got a picture. Uh, Lee, would you put the picture up? This is where I'm from. It's a gorgeous place. If you've ever been to the southern Oregon coast, absolutely gorgeous, right? You drive up to the redwoods, and you hit some of the most beautiful land you'll ever see. Doesn't get very hot in the summertime. It's about 65, high 65. You're wondering why I'm, my skin pale is so, so gorgeous. <laughs> because when it was 70 degrees, people passed out of heat stroke. Uh, but the interesting thing about Oregon coast is uh, when you get a cloudy sky, and at nighttime, it is dark. There's no light pollution. So darkness is a scary thing, right? Here it's like it goes dark and you just, whatever, you're good to go. In the darkness, you know, the scripture here is talking about Jesus, when it's dark, you're going to stumble and you don't know where you're going. Use these images. So if we go back to uh, Bible times, when it was dark, it was dark, right? There's like, couldn't see anything. So I have this great story. So I don't know, as, as some of you have gotten older, have your memories kind of mixed with the stories you told about it? So you can't even really remember what's true anymore, right? Like, I hate to break it to you, if you're in your 20s, your memories actually turn into memories of the stories you told about your memories. So they always grow in legendary status, right? Because, you, you know, it starts off, and then by the time, you know, 30 years of you telling the story, it's like, you know, back in the day, when I, you know, that's how these stories happen. Or you talk to an old retired Marine, Right? And it's like, man, you know that didn't happen. No, he didn't invade, he didn't run up a hill in Vietnam, right? Doing all these things. It's like, you were born in 79. There's no way you could have been in Vietnam. I'm doing the math here, buddy. The story's out of control. Okay. That's how that happens because I don't think people are disingenuous. You just get old and your, your brain starts to do what's working. But I will tell you, sometimes there's some memories that are so shaping that you can't shape them, right? Like you have a memory, it's like a core memory. Now, I got a core memory of the darkness and the Oregon coast and the beach, very similar to this one. So I was in high school, and we would, we'd go out to the beach, and you'd build a bonfire. You know, just normal stuff kids do, right? I wasn't a bad kid. You know, nothing crazy is going on here. So we got to the beach, and we walked like 20, 30 minutes, right, from where we parked the cars. There's not a lot of parking lots. You just pull off on the side of the road. Sometimes there's parking lots. I had a fire I hung out with, and then all of a sudden, in the Oregon coast, you'll notice there's no houses. You're like, well, that's a pristine place to build a house. Because when storms roll, and they're so bad, it'll just tear a house up, right? You've got to build an inland, or you're going to lose your house. And so we were out there, and all of a sudden, these storm, and this is pre-internet, right? This is the night, and so I didn't get a phone alert, you know, all these things. The storm rolls in, these black clouds. It was already evening time, we are building a fire, and it just goes black. And uh, we're like, oh, we should probably leave. The thing is, is there's no cell phones, so nobody has a flashlight. And you can't see the hand in front of your face. Now, we're 30-minute walk back to where our cars are at, and there's cliffs, rocks and there's a sea and, and unfortunately it's a very big tragedy when you live on the coast. There's a high amount of fatalities in the ocean because people 
fall off cliffs. They slip on rocks. You don't get a lot of sand. It's mostly rocky places. So it's like four of us, uh, two guys, two ladies. No, it's three guys. And one, I forgot what we were doing. Anyways, that's not important. The point is we couldn't see anything. And we were scared. And I was, I've always been an outgoing person. I, I, uh, kind of a shepherding person. I'm always making sure people are okay. So I, you know, I'm the big man. Keep in mind, six foot, 130 pounds. But inside, I'm trembling and shaking. I'm scared to death. Like, I, have you been in so dark you can't see your hand? Have you ever been in a dark place like that? And we're, we're kicking the sand and the, and the sea and the grass. We're, we're trying to point back where we think we're going. There's no light. And you realize how dumb this is because like, I can walk right in this other direction. I need to walk us off a cliff. And I'm telling you the story. One, is because it's, it's ingrained in my mind. I'll just I'll never forget this. And I never felt relief like when we found the parking lot. I was like, oh my God, that's concrete, right? You really like a bowl going off with, like, at a, a public restaurant. It's like, oh my God, like, we're saved. And you know, we got in the car and But walking for 30 minutes in pure darkness, just pointing in a general direction, is the most terrifying thing ever, especially when you're a kid. And then I felt responsible for the people I was with, especially the young lady, who I happen to know her father, right? And, uh, and it was just so scary. And when the scripture says that we think we're in the light, but we're in darkness, this is how I like it, is I remember that feeling where it's like, if I take a wrong turn, I'm walking off a cliff. Right? I, I will kill these people. I will kill myself. I mean, this is terrible. And that's what it's like walking in the darkness, like with hatred, right? Like, there's a point when your heart becomes so hardened, right? Like, you actually think you're walking with Christ, but there are a group of people they get to heaven and they say, hey, we did this year, we did this year, we did this year. And Jesus says, I never knew you. How were you? Get out of here, right? Take a hike. And that to me is the scariest position you could ever possibly be in. That you've so tricked yourself that you're walking in the light. I'm good to go. And the problem is, is something so fundamental and so basic and so rudimentary to Christianity has been your downfall. You thought you had a relationship with Jesus. Now, a relationship with Jesus automatically means, therefore, that you begin reconciling relationships with humanity. And the problem is, is the other side of humanity doesn't want to reconcile a relationship with you. So now you're stuck. It'd be nice if all of us took the love juice and we all just want to love each other. The problem is that you've taken the love juice and people still want to hate you. <laughs> they want to get in your skin and make you do these things. So we're going to talk about what we're going to do about this. Amen? Amen. Okay. So... 1 John, uh, uh, let me think. Okay, you, you want to bear with me for a second? Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me digress. I told Trace I may or may not talk about this, but I think I have time. Okay. This is not central to this theme, but I want you to think through something as well. When we speak about darkness, it says, let me read you what it says. Um, okay, verse 11, it says, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness. Does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Pay attention to that, that phrase there. Darkness has blinded his eyes. He thinks he's in the light, but he's dark, and his eyes are dark. Right? He can't see. He doesn't know. This, this whoever he's speaking of is unaware that he's blinded, and his eyes are blinded. Now, scripture talks about humans being blinded in another spot. And it says that the God of this world blinds the mind of unbelievers that they might not see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is found in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. Did I put that up there? 
I did. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. See that? See what, the, see what they're trying to hide? Is the light. Of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so this is how we see unbelievers being blind. He, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded their eyes so they don't see the light. And we think that's unique to them, but here's the problem. is So if you're the God of this world and you want to attack a Christian, that gets a little bit tougher, right? Because they belong to the God. Why do I get this guy? Well, it's very easy. Because if I want them to suffer the same blindness as an unbeliever, what do I have to make you do? Hate your brother. This is easy. So what do I got to do? So now we have to define who's our brother, right? That's a fair thing. Because am I allowed to hate some people? Because <laughs> right, like, if I can define brother, hey, hey, I can get my hate on and my love on and be good to go, right? Okay, let's go to Luke chapter. Uh, I'm going to, Lee, you don't have it. I'm going to read Luke 10.25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, you can just listen to the beautiful sound of my voice. Because Jesus is going to do some defining for us, right? Because some people would say that, oh, a brother is maybe only other fellow Christians. And I'm going to tell you, you are wrong. 1025, I'm going to read um, the parable of Good Samaritan. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. <coughs> Excuse me. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Right? So this is the same question you and I are about to ask right now, because if the success of my Christianity hinges upon me loving my, my brother, I have to figure out who my brother is. Right? So maybe this will help us. And the guy's like, well, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, well, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw that he had, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, and he poured oil and uh, pour, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So friends... When we ask the question, who is our brother, right? I want you to think about who, how Jesus defined that neighbor. Your brother is whoever you're in contact with. Whoever life, however your life path goes, whoever you come across, that's your brother. Amen? Amen. Your co-worker, is that your brother? Yes. Your family members? Yes. Your church members? Absolutely. Amen? Amen. You come across somebody who's suffering, right? You don't know this person. Brothers. Amen? Brothers are humanity. Okay? So we have our definition of this. In 1 John 3.14, it says, We know that we have passed from death to life 
because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. It can't get any stronger, right? We know we pass from death to life. So the first litmus test, you guys remember, uh, you know what a litmus test is? You know what that is? Remember testing like uh, acids and bases in science class in high school? You know, dipping those little papers, and you put the paper in, it turns colors, lets you know if it's base, right, or is acidic, right? So it's a test. I don't know why I but it's a nice test to know what it is. And so the first test in Christianity you actually find out is like, is somebody a, a brother, a real Christian brother, is their love towards people. This is the test. We know we pass from life to death because we love people. Because without Jesus, it's impossible to love people. That's just a fact. You're not going to be able to do this on your own because it's going to get awfully difficult. Even with the Lord, it's very difficult. Amen? Amen. But this is the test. Okay. So we've got that defined. And does this make sense what's happening here? Why this is a fundamental? This is brilliance in the basics, right? This is the most basic thing. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning is just giving you a couple helpful hints from the Bible on how to love people. Does that sound good? Because it's, no, it, it's terrible when people tell you what you should be doing, but they don't tell you how to do it. Right? And so we do, um, there's a slide that's up there with the number. If you have questions, maybe you have like a, a specific question you want to text in. Pastor Trace and I will try to answer it here at the end. Uh, because I, this is, we're going to dig in a little bit, right? Because we got to know how to do this. This matters. If you don't work on this, you're in the darkness. You think you have life, but you're actually still in death. Amen? Amen. God says, like, look, I forgive you. If you don't forgive people, I can't forgive you. This is a tough statement. And some believers go their whole life with unforgiveness still in there. And hatred in the heart. Right? And they can't figure these basic things out. And your whole life, you know, God is wanting and reaching out to you. But we're so hard-hearted and stubborn about these things. So... I just can, my heart is because I struggle with these things too. Like this is, I need this. I need this more than you. I wish you knew what a terrible human being I was. And who was. And like, I, like my, the advice I'm going to give you, my wife is going to nail me to the wall. She's like, why don't you just take that advice? It would be great if you do these things. The reason I'm giving you this advice is because you're basically going to read my mail on where I fail. Okay? So here's the first thing you need to learn. Stop talking. Write that down. Stop talking. How do I love people? Why don't you just stop talking? Let's go to James. I don't know if it's on the screen, but I'm going to read you something from James chapter 3. The first thing you can do is stop talking. Right? Until you learn some basic fundamentals. James chapter 3 says this. Uh, verse 8 through 12. It says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. We have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So James is teaching us, he goes, how, how is it that we stand and we sing, oh, happy day, and we leave the church and say, the president's name. Right? Has anyone ever done that? I'm not saying necessarily this president, a president. Has anyone not called the president, not sitting in the last, let's say, 50 years of age? Arlene, you've never said president, and Lee's never said it. Good for you, two people. I say it every month since 1994. (laughs) 
seems to be the scapegoat for all of our problems, right? But you get the idea. It's like, as funny as that sounds, it's like, that is not Christ. That is not love, right? Jesus said, he who calls his brother a fool is in danger of hellfire. What? Have you ever heard that little expression? Your words are not free and cheap. The Bible teaches us you are responsible for what comes out of your mouth. You will be held accountable for the things you speak. 100%. That's, that's free. That's not even in my notes. But what you say will be held against you on that great day. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're not going to have a review. The Bible says we will be held accountable for what is done in the Bible. Our salvation is secure, friends. We're good to go, right? If you believe in Jesus Christ and He's your Savior, right? Nothing can snatch you out of the hand. But there are things called heavenly rewards, right? Where He reviews what's happened, right? It says you will be given things based upon the blood. It says some people are saved and their clothes still smell like fire. That's how close you were to not making it. It says you get to heaven and you smell like smoke, right? That's that's a, a very vivid image. But James says, he goes, these things ought not to be, brother. So why I advise to stop talking is you should add your prayer life about like listening to yourself. What am I saying? Do I use my mouth to tear people down? If I'm really loving my brother is tearing them down with my mouth, loving them. I want you to answer that question right now. Is tearing somebody down with your mouth loving a brother? No. Because no. what does James say? He goes, with one side of your mouth, you bless God, and the other side of your mouth, you curse man who is made in the image of God. Has there ever been a human being on this earth that was not made in the image of God? Does God love his creation? Did God love you before you were saved? So can we reasonably agree that God loves these terrible human beings that are doing terrible things right now? Yeah, that's fair, right? It doesn't have to be a hard stretch magic. Now, does he love what they're doing? No, but that's not the behavior. God never says we have to love everything a sinner does or what people do. We don't have to love the fact that people hurt us and they abuse us and they steal from us, right? They lie against us. We don't have to love that, but I have to love that person. The Bible says that our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but against the spirit behind which that person is operating. Does that make sense? People are being used by spiritual forces and they don't understand why they do what they do. If you look back on your life, can you really ever answer that? Why did I do that? Has anybody ever asked that question? If I could go back, about the time when I'm walking around the ocean blind, right? I mean, just a series of bad decisions. Like, I wish you could have known me my freshman year at Oregon State in college. What a loser, right? I mean, if you think I'm a loser now, you should have seen me back then, right? Like, it's just, I go back and I'm like, boy, I had the whole world in my palm of my hand. I had hair, I had health, like, I had a music stuff, I had all these things going on. What about seven? That's another story for a different day. But I'm like, what, what on earth possessed me to go down this path? I wasn't saying it. I can't answer that. And so when we express the same grace, when you just see people going in that direction, doing these things, friends, we've got to extend the same grace. We were there, right? We have been blinded by the God in this world. And if anything, we should have compassion. When you see people that are just that terrible, it should break our heart. Right? It's like, oh my gosh, this person is that blind. They can't see what they're saying and doing is they're hurting. And they're going to be held accountable. On top of them, they're going to be held accountable for all this stuff, right? So what should we do instead of tearing them down with their mouth? Maybe we should just stop talking and pray, right? Remember the old, did anyone's mother used to say is like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. 
It's very wise advice. You look back and like, that is probably the best advice anyone's ever given. Because how many times we would not be... Let's say this way. Things I've done physically, I really don't... I mean, everyone has regrets. You know I regret most of the things I've said. I've hurt people. Like, we always say in our house, we say it kind of silly, we always say, words hurt. Like if my, if my wife says something like, hey, your hair looks really nice and she's being sarcastic. And she does that. <laughs> One time I actually believed her. This is to tell you how toxic our relationship is. Actually, we have a wonderful relationship, but I, I forgot I woke up. Like, really? She's like, no. That's how mean she is. And I'm like, hey, words hurt. So we always say that. But I look back across all, my whole life, and I'm like, man, I regret saying some things. I've hurt people. Has anyone ever said some things that really hurt people and you wish you could get that back? And you know, I've been punched in the face. I've, you know, I've been in fights. I've done things. And I don't really remember those things. I don't remember. I remember my brother socked me really good ones once. Soft stars. I don't really remember that pain. I remember it hurt. I remember saying some stuff, though. I'm still ashamed of it. It hurts my heart. I was like, oh, I wish I could get that back. You can't. The one thing you can never get back the words, right? Because once it goes out, like, they pierce. And the Bible says the tongue is an unruly poison. And words kill relationship. How many marriages have been killed because of words? How many relationships? Right? All these terrible things because of words. You know, we, we, we shared our sister who's gone on the glory last night, right? And, and we all have a date, right? And it's recorded and we go on the glory. And you can't get these words back. And people worry, it's like, oh, what's the last thing I said to this person? I, said, yeah, I don't know if anyone does that exercise. Oh, what was the last time I said to my sister? And everyone's like, oh, give me another minute so I can tell you how much I love you. Right? That's what everyone wants to do. And great advice would be to live your life like that. Right? Doesn't mean you don't have hard conversations. Doesn't mean you, you, you can talk about real things, but you're very guided on how you lead these conversations. Great advice we always got being married is you never go to bed angry, right? Like, don't go to bed. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath, right? It's like, hey, whatever we got to work out, let's work it out. We may not be super happy, but I'm going to end tonight telling you I love you and I forgive you, right? That's the best thing you can do, right? Because the Bible says no one has tomorrow promise, right? This is is good advice, friends. It's right from the Bible. So stop talking. James 4.11 says this. It says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges by the law. It tells us not to. And one thing that's happening in our society, so we know that Satan can blind, uh, blind the believer by causing us to hate our brother. We've established that, right? So how do I attack the church? Well, I get the church to start hating, right? Hating each other, hating whatever. And then blindness, darkness comes in. Right? And eventually, darkness becomes complete and you start stumbling. Have you ever seen churches like, what happened to these guys get here? Right? There's a very famous church. And it's the, I'm going to be careful with my words. It's not the best church. Have you ever heard of the Westboro Baptist Church? As, uh, uh, what's that show about soccer? Ted Lasso. What? Ted Lasso, he called them turkeys. He goes, those turkeys. Um, <laughs> here to there. But these, I mean, they say some very awful things. And you wonder, how, do, how does a church get here? How does, you know, how do, how does somebody go out there and, and protest uh, a soldier who's died, body gun? Why would you ever protest? I mean, it's terrible. 
Um, and, but you realize, oh, darkness is coming, right? Like, this hatred is coming, this darkness. And what happens if it goes unchecked? It just leads churches to terrible places. And, and part of Trace and I's job is to make sure that we're walking in the light. He is the light, right? So we've got to correct these things. And so that's why we're, we're going through First John. We want to correct this. And it says, he who speaks evil of his brother. So the challenge is, and then, so we understand Satan's device here. He's like, okay, let me just send some darkness from the church. Oh, the church. Hey. Now, unfortunately, the church in 2022, not necessarily this church, is very compromised right now in the United States, is my opinion. Is because the church has become very vocal about hating certain things, hating certain political parties, right? right? And it doesn't matter because it depends on which church you go to, it depends on which political party you hate, right? This is, we all have a universally agreed upon who to hate. We just hate, right? All of the church's problems is because the Democrats are in power. Actually, no. It was because that last administration, the Republicans, the warmonger, this is why the church can't prosper. And then we have these scapegoats, and we hate them, and then we belittle them. I, I use politicians because everybody hates politicians, right? I, I think this might, except for the two of you that have never done it, but pretty much to me, politicians are a universal punching bag. But what does the Bible actually say about our politicians? What should we be doing? It actually says pray for those that are in charge. Does it say go home and tear them apart with your tongue? No, it doesn't. Do you think spreading that poison in your house is helping or hurting your Christianity? Oh, yeah, now we're sick. This is tough to do, right? Because people are making terrible decisions at every level. But you know what the church isn't doing? Is we're not praying for those leaders at every level. What we've decided to do is just to mock them, make fun of them. And we wonder why things aren't changing. Friends, prayer changes things. But you know what the church isn't doing? We're acting just like, that's right, we're not praying. We're acting just like the world. Because what the world does is it tears people down with their tongue. It builds them up and it tears them down. What do we do to celebrities? We build them up, and we love it when they fall. Right? We love the juicy gossip when we watch these guys. Stop talking. It's the best advice I can give you. The Bible says in a multitude of words, the King James verse, Julie, sin wanteth not. And in a multitude of words, sin is always ready and hanging out. This is my life verse because I talk a lot. When you talk a lot, there's lots of sin. Okay. I beat that horse really, really good. Stop talking. Number two, do something. So stop talking. My, my second idea would be is to do something. The Bible teaches us that true religion to our God is to take care of orphans and widows. Amen? The Good Samaritan. Was it the priest that went by and said a silent prayer for the man who was dying on the road? Or was it the guy who picked him up, bandaged him up, paid for his hotel, and fed him? He did something. Amen? So how do we love our brothers? James says, he goes, if I see a, a brother without food and clothes, and I say to him, be warm and be filled, you haven't helped him. You know what does help is if you feed him with clothes. It says, he who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and doesn't do anything about it, James says, how does the love of God abide in that person? If you see somebody who needs something, and you can meet that need, the Bible asks, how is the love of God abiding if you don't do something? If you've got two sandwiches and someone's hungry, how are you going to sit there and eat both of those things? Right? Who's seen Dumb and Dumber? Man, I'm getting too old. Yes, okay. Not even half of the church has seen Dumb and Dumber. Trace, write that down. You got it. Well, it's about, again, we're careful with our words. It's about two gentlemen who are not very smart. And anyways, you're trying to get a suitcase back. I'm not going to go for it. And they're, they're riding Colorado. 
and there's snow and you're driving around and they're riding on a moped. It's terrible. There are two guys on a small moped and riding up the two is going fast. The guy in the back is completely frozen. It's not frozen. You know, they don't, they're not really dressed accordingly. And they pull over. He's like, here, I'm wearing two pairs of gloves. My hands are, my hands are sweating. The other guy in the back is like frozen. And the, and the joker on the front has two pairs of gloves. And I liken that too. That's what Christianity is. We have all this wealth. We have all these things. We have all of, we have this. And then around us are all these people that need, need, need. They're broken. They need. How many pairs of shoes? I mean, and, and I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. Right? So I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you because I'm just as guilty. And we look around and it's like, man, find a ministry that's getting involved. Like, you may not be able to do all these things, but there are people that are doing it. Get involved in this, right? There are people that take perfectly good shoes in some of the countries that need shoes, right? And I look at my closet, like, how many pairs of shoes can I possibly need? I really just wear the same two or three pairs, right? I got a pair of tennis shoes, I got a pair of boots, I got a pair of dress shoes. Then I've got like 10 other iterations of each one of these that I bought when I didn't give it over time. I'm thinking, wow, I sure am blessed. And then I, when I see people that don't have shoes, right? It is, we've all had this exercise, right? If you throw away food, you just feel terrible. It's like, why am I throwing this away? People are eating. Well, let's do something about it. If you can't do something, find somebody who is actively involved and get involved in that, right? Maybe I'm going to fast a meal to provide a meal for somebody else. Do something. That is what love is. It's an action. Love is a verb. Amen? Yeah. It's doing something. And it always, you know, some people, like, we don't want to be like the, the, the parable of the sower. Because some people, get, they just go all in. They're like a flash in the pan, right? There's no depth, right? You said, oh, I gave everything to the poor. I did, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. And you can only sustain a sprint <laughs> for a sprint distance. We're in this a long time, like, if you give everything away to help everybody, now I have to take care of you because you're broke, right? Like, we've, we've defeated the purpose here, right? It's the same thing I advise about people who give with credit cards. Like, oh, take it easy. Debt is not the answer, right? Going into debt, like, you really better hear from the Spirit before you do these things, right? Because credit card debt is no joke. Those interest rates, they're not your friend. You've been paying on those forever, right? So we gotta, we got to be smart about these things. We want to have culture and soil. But my point is, is if we all did something, that's the love of Christ. Amen? Do something. If you don't know what to do, you should write this down. You should pray. The biggest thing the Bible tells us to do is to pray. Sometimes we see a need and we don't know how to meet it or an injustice that is so great. Right? It just breaks your heart. You're saying this. The church thing, if you don't know what to do, you should pray. Prayer changes things. The one thing God has given us, right? So we always say, uh, God is sovereign or God's will, we pray about these things, right? If anyone prays according to God's will, we know we have the petitions we ask him. Like God, what God wants ultimately matters, right? Because the Bible says God's will will stand. How everything wraps up will be according to what he decides. Amen. We all agree upon that as Christians that we serve someone who is greater, who knows far more than us. But this creator God who knows all things and plans all things out, the Bible says he declares the end from the beginning. Uh, he knows how this is all going to wrap up. But he's given you and I a responsibility. And part of that responsibility is for us to pray. To be the hands and the feet. The salt and the light. Right? If prayer didn't do things, God is not interested in us doing things that have no practical value. God is not here to waste your time. Right? No, if this was just a waste of time, I'm completely wasting my time being a pastor. Reading and studying for time. Friends, I can tell you, I, I wish you could see the things I've seen. Prayer does things. 
right? If you look at the life of Jesus, and you're like, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know. How do I know God wants to heal somebody? Right? So I'm just not going to do anything. That's just a wrong answer. The will of God is expressed in Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do when he was on the earth? Did he heal people? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Does he heal everyone? No. That's not my responsibility, what God is going to do with it from there. Right? Of the of all of the apostles, the original disciples, they all met terrible deaths. Right? Does that mean God is still not good? Right? Does that mean they still didn't pray for these things? No. Here's the best advice I can give you. I pray according to what I've seen Jesus do and God do in the Bible. Does Jesus feed people? Does God heal people? Right? Does God forgive people? Does he love people? Okay. I can pray with confidence that God is able and does do these things. Now what he does with it, that's him. Right? Mm-hmm. Best I have ever heard more uh, of viral disease in comfort. He's like, I never pray what could happen. I pray what I want to happen. He says, what up? When you pray, you have a will. You have a voice. It's God, this is what I would like to see happen. I pray you would do this. Amen? And some people would say, well, I don't know if it's your will. You don't have to worry about it that moment. Pray. Amen. Pray when you see an injustice. God, I pray you would do this. Father, would you heal this person? Would you save this person? Father, would you, uh, is God's will to save that person? What you're never going to get it. Unless you audibly hear from the Lord, you're not going to hear. So pray. Pray like, because God wants to know your heart. Right? And if you go back across the Bible, like you look at people standing in the gap praying for people who didn't deserve it. Right? We think of Moses. Right? We think of all these people where they're praying. Like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be destroyed. It's terrible we can see. It's like, God, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 10? What if there's three? But like, he's begging for these people's lives. Right? And God's like, okay, sure. All right, I'll play, I'll play your game, right? And then the city still gets destroyed. But the point is, we should be standing in the gap like that. Pray, right? If you don't know what to do, pray. And don't get hung up on what God's will is. You know what his will is. The Bible says that God desires all men be saved to come to the glorious knowledge of Jesus Christ. Does that mean it's going to happen? No. But I can pray for someone's salvation, right? You should be doing this too. Pray for their healing. Pray for their provision, right? Does God want you to have a good job? Some people get so hung up on money. We need money to live, right? So pray for somebody to have their needs met. If you can't physically do something, you can pray with assurance that you're not violating God's will. Amen? Amen. Leave it up to Him. Pray, pray, pray. Okay, last thing. Meditate on 1 Corinthians 13 would be my last advice. This is one of those, this is called the love chapter. This is one of those um, chapters you should start to memorize. And I'm going to just read you a couple verses. This is in verse 4. So if you want to know how to love, uh, Paul actually does a better job than I ever could telling you what it means. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And love never fails. If you think about your actions and your words, and you could use this as a test to see how it lines up. It says love believes all things. It endures all things. 
These are tough things because we have these broken relationships. And some people, thank you. You're having a hard conversation with somebody, and they say, oh, I'll change. And then they don't change. And after a while, we begin to be jaded, and we say, you're the same person. You're never going to change. But love says love what? Believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, how many times will we forgive him? Yeah. Friends, this is tough. Right? Because sometimes we think it's like, well, if I get sinned against once, okay, twice, Right? Fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, right? But then Jesus goes and amplifies it. Well, let's do 70 times 70. Has any one person sinned against you that many times in a day? About five times as you're looking for a black eye, right? (laughs) It's like 10 times. This is what we're called to do. This is walking in the light. This is loving our brothers. And we're going to cry, and we're going to fail, we're going to miss it, but this is the mark of Christians. God expects you to try. We won't be perfect, right? We're going to mess up. Michael Young, I would guarantee you, I shouldn't say this, but in a, in whatever life I love, I would call a politician an idiot. I guarantee you. I might even do it today. As much as I don't want to, I'll read something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. And then I'll be like, I don't want you know? But I don't want to be like that because that's not Christ. And I fail. So, but that doesn't give me the excuse not to try. It doesn't give me the excuse not to pray about it and work on it and meditate on these scriptures and to take my own advice and just shut my mouth. You know, when's the last time anybody really cared about Michael Young has to say about something? It's been a long time. Right? I don't need to weigh in on anything. I don't need to weigh in on every social topic. I don't need to weigh in on how I think the administration is doing. I don't need to weigh in. All this does is lead me down a path. Amen? Amen? I go back to that one because that's my problem. Sorry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As John has taught us that, which we have heard from the beginning, that we're to love our brothers. Father, would you please help us in this endeavor? Would you help us to walk in love and light? Father, would you help us? We need you so much, Father God. We need your grace to be able to do this, to see people like you see them. Father God, that you loved us long before we loved you. That you saw us, even in our sin, in our chaos, you rescued us. So help us to live like Jesus on this planet, Father God, to be quick to forgive, slow to speak, slow to anger. All the, the countless advice you've given us in the word. Help us to live that out, Father. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. We need you. We thank you. The church said.